0: now on this invest talk podcast justin klein listens to your questions
1: my name is ryan from malinsburg pa i just subscribed to the weekly newsletter so i'm pretty excited to get that i had a question for you guys on how you guys analyze trends and how far do you go back looking at the stock and
0: provides unbiased answers
2: your standard daily chart typically goes back one year but basically the longer you go back the better
0: invest talk over 32 million downloads and counting.
3: Hey, Steve, or Justin. This is Robbie from Sandawan. I've been listening to your show for the past, I know, five years, so thank you so much
0: for everything you've been doing. Your participation makes it unique. 888 99 Chart.
4: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast.
2: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, June 28th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. I appreciate you all tuning in. This hour, and I have a great show, a lot to, to, to discuss. Uh, all as always, we're going to operate with our mission statement: independent thinking and shared success. Which means, no matter what I'm speaking about, I'm here to just give you the facts without bias. Okay, whether it's uh, the market as a whole, the uh, sector, and uh, strategy, whatever it is, I'm just here to give you the pros and the cons and the facts, and that's what it should be rooted in. Your decision making should be rooted in that. And I want to quickly pivot to an example of uh, something that came in over the weekend. You know, we get questions through our website. You can just hit contact Justin, contact Steve, portfolio review, all those things on our website. Super easy to get in touch with us. I got a message. It was yesterday. And I'll I'll read the message because what it does to me is it highlights the fact that we are still uh, making a lot of people are still making a lot of decisions based on uh, tribalism their politics and, and not focusing on the facts. Okay. Uh, now what it's saying is I'm a quote. I'm a long time listener. I really enjoy your show. Thanks for sharing valuable information. Since both of you often say that your opinion is based in facts, I hope you'll follow this rule too. When talking about COVID-19, I heard both of you claim the virus origin was a from a Wuhan lab. But as far as I know, WHO hasn't confirmed this yet. Dr. Fauci didn't say the virus was in the lab either. Only Republican politicians said so. So let us people so let people forget what bad job they did to handle the pandemic. I hope you guys don't politicize the virus on your podcast. There has been a lot of hate crime towards Asian Americans. You guys are not helping. Please only say so when WHO confirms it. End quote. So that's the that that's basically saying is. Don't talk about the COVID lab leak theory, and if you've listened to the show for over a year, I I was saying this back in uh, basically May of last year, that it was clear and fairly obvious that the preponderance of evidence, where we don't know until we get a full uh, audit of the the, the lab, which we still have not gotten yet, um, whether it actually came from the lab, but... You, you know based on the DNA and circumstantial evidence and uh, that there's a lot uh, a lot more evidence for that than some zoonotic overspill which uh, that was uh, kind of the thing for for a little while and it's been politicized and this should not be a politicized thing it's science it's whether it came from this place or that place that's it whether that's that, that's not left or right it's up or down did it come from there or not and only way we know is by looking at the facts now the facts are we don't have the ability to fully say, okay, this is 100% where it came from, because like I said, haven't done a full investigation. But this is a good example of how people take their politics and they infuse them into the decision making process. And it happens way too often. And so many people do it with their with their investments as well whether that's uh, infusing ESG or, or saying uh, you know this this is how it sh- the world should go and therefore I'm going to invest accordingly because th- this is my these are my politics and the, this these companies would be better under my politics versus their politics okay and that's the reality is the market doesn't care what your politics are the market doesn't care whether the the virus came from a lab or a zoonotic overspill or or uh, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, it doesn't matter. The market cares about what is actually happening or going to happen. It cares about the facts, okay? So that's what I'm here to help you understand. Just like I did over a year ago, the facts are the lab leak is the most most uh, likely scenario. Now this listener said. We're saying that that's where it came from. No, not, because we don't have the actual facts. I, I live with the doctor. I've talked about this plenty of times. So this is the preponderance of evidence, just like in investing. You have to invest based on the preponderance of evidence of whether this is a good or bad investment. There's always going to be pros and cons. There's always going to be different sides. But you have to make the best decision with the actual facts uh, that are in front of you, not your politics, and make sure you keep those emotions out of the investment process now i'm justin klein of course we encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions and when you do that you get to shape the show which means you can interact with us right now during our live stream program four to five pacific time or you can leave a question anytime on our Invest talk voice bank either way the number never changes 88899 chart so let's get right to our first listener question now
5: Hi, Stephen, Justin. This is Keith from Redondo Beach. I have a question on bond issue. Tips versus I-bonds. They seem to be indexed off the the same thing, the consumer price index. Yet right now, tips are paying like twice what I-bonds are paying. My first question is, why is that? My second question is, when would you apply tips versus i bonds and what would be the most appropriate account to do those in a tax advantaged account or an account that is just an a individual brokerage account thanks a lot guys appreciate all you do for
1: us bye bye
2: all right great question now we talked about i bonds uh, i would say roughly a month ago on the show and It was interesting. There were a lot of limitations with I-bonds. I believe it was $10,000 per year that you can purchase. There's a lockup period for five years. Otherwise, there's penalties for selling it. So I-bonds are very illiquid, and uh, they're limited to how much exposure you can gain on a yearly basis. So that makes it very narrow uh, scope of your portfolio that you're trying to fill. Something that's very long-term, that's inflation-adjusted, uh, but it, but it's limited to how much you can really purchase. Whereas TIPS, you can go and buy as many treasury inflation-protected securities as you want. You can go buy a mutual fund like TIP and gain exposure that way and have it liquid and sell it whenever you want. Uh, now, what are the differences in the yield? I'd have to look at that, um, you know, why TIPS are, are paying more right now. But uh, I just think tips are, are, are a better vehicle overall. Uh, but there are some, once again, some pros and cons, but I like the the liquidity. I'd rather have the liquidity, to be honest with you. Uh, tip, or the I-bonds can be, uh, be fine uh, for a small percentage of your portfolio. Make sure that you're not touching it just there, just in case of a rainy, 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 rainy day. Whereas tips are more of an allocation for Uh, A diversified portfolio where you're trying to gain a fixed income inflation hedge. And that can be good for that. So hope that broke it down for you. Obviously, there's a lot to unpack there, dig into the details. uh, But I'm a bigger fan of tips over I-bonds. Now, my focus point today is concerning this story. In an already constrained microchip market, will an NVIDIA arm merger help or hurt the market? There's a global chip shortage. We know that. It could last uh, to a couple of years. And there's concerns around export controls and uh, digital sovereignty and uh, just being able to gain access to these ARM processors that are the vital backbone for many of our mobile devices in the world today. And so we're going to touch on that topic. We're also going to discuss the Fed and their tapering and what could that mean for the market as a whole and especially the housing market because that's where they're focusing their efforts. And also, what are the unemployment impacts to a lot of these comrade states that are removing the extra unemployment benefits? And there has been... A lot of changes in those states, and we're going to dig into those details uh, if we have time. And then the infrastructure deal, where are we at and will it eventually get passed? Is that something that's going to be before the August recess or maybe pushed off till uh, the end of the year, maybe even the next year? Remember, we have the debt ceiling debate uh, that will come in, I believe, September, and that's going to really be on, on docket for what Congress is going to worry about. And so are they going to be able to focus on infrastructure if they don't get a deal done now? So we'll unpack that a little bit more. But ultimately, uh, I want to hear what's on your mind, Eighty-eight, ninety-nine chart. Now let's look at the market today. Overall, a very modest down day, a pretty modest down day. The NYSE was down 85 points, about half a percent uh, there. And let's look at the s and and p was up slightly, about 10 points, so modest up day on that side. And really what you saw were the small caps underperforming most of the rest of the market. Uh, growth was, was better, tech was better, and that was on the back of the 10-year, giving a nice pullback after a, a surge higher on Friday. It really gave back all of those gains, basically closed where we were on Thursday, down to one47 eight on the 10 year still kind of in this pullback consolidation period but it looks to me like it wants to move higher so where rates go next i think will be uh, very important for the overall market do we break out kind of above the 1.6 mark or do we break down below support around 1.4 this will be the i think the the vital trigger of uh, where the market moves next. Now we're heading into a quick break and the Invest Talk question and answer session will continue in 1 minute, but you can call me now with your finance or investment questions at 888 shirt
0: Look at the calendar. Summer is here. The market's been exhibiting volatility, so investors are exposed to vulnerability. Justin Klein is here now, and he's ready for your finance and investment questions. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve
3: or Justin. This is Robbie from San Ramon. I've been listening to your show for the past I know, five years, also, along with my uh, son, who was five then, and now he's 10 years old and he really likes your show so thank you so much for everything you've been doing so the question is you know along the way he saved some money and now he wanted me to ask you this question which is should he put this money into walmart or target he thinks that you you guys know a lot than what i do which i 100 percent agree so i really appreciate everything you've been doing and i really hope you know he uh he listens to your show for the years to come uh, for along with them. So, yeah, looking forward to your response on the podcast. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you for the kind words, and uh, I'm glad you and your son are getting a lot out of the show. Hopefully, we can help uh, on an ongoing basis, make you help you make good decisions. And you're trying to make a decision on Walmart versus Target. Both are very strong, quality companies and have strong, consistent Profitability, distribution, good leadership. Now, if you look at the profitability of both companies, Target's definitely, historically, has not been as good as Walmart, except for the past few years. It's really done much, much better from about 2018 on. It started to outperform dramatically uh, on a, from a profitability perspective, from a cash flow perspective, the numbers that you, you're seeing over Walmart. Now, a lot of that has to do with Target is smaller and has more room to grow. Uh, I think their leadership is very good. And so the question is, does the re, will the recent performance persist? Outperformance, not just of the stock, but of the profitability metrics. And I think that's certainly possible. Now, the valuation on Target is is certainly higher uh, and you're going to pay a higher multiple now higher multiples don't mean that necessarily that you automatically are going to uh that you automatically are going to pay for the cheaper one okay so you have to look at them in context you i want to pay a premium if that premium in the profitability is going to remain consistent and so if you look at both, I'm actually going to buy Target. Just because I do think that premium is going to remain consistent. I think it's a better shopping experience. Uh, I really like their leadership, their acquisitions. Uh, so I'm phone picking one of the other of the long term. I'm picking Target. Now here in at and at KP Financial, we operate with the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. This is all to better serve you, the audience. And we're going into a break. And my phone lines are open for you now at 888-99-CHART.
0: the stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz.
2: 888 chart 888 4278 Now, let's touch on the potential merger between NVIDIA and ARM Holdings. Now, ARM is a company that powers a lot of the chips out there in the world, mobile chips especially. And the Apple uses ARM architecture for their chips and dozens of other firms out there. Use their technology as well, Qualcomm in in their mobile chips. So the fact that Nvidia has bid forty billion for this is the UK chip designer. They're in the UK. Uh, that's making some in the industry a bit worried. Google, Microsoft, Qualcomm, others are speaking out in support. Broadcom, for example. Who also uses arms architecture and really it's about whether or not the UK, the US, the, uh, the, the Euro, uh, Europe, China, they are they all allow this from a anti-trust trust regula- regulation standpoint. And this is all with the backdrop that we have limited chip supply. And do you want more consolidation in an industry that is so reliant on so many of the big players? Yes, there are a lot of chip companies out there, but they've been consolidating throughout the years. Uh, Clearly, scale in this industry is vitally important, and that helps make those chips cheaper and more competitive. So that's why there's a lot of consolidation. But it also puts the power in the hands of the few. For example, Taiwan Semiconductor, which is the largest chip foundry in the world, they have pretty pretty strong pricing power in a market where uh, chip the chips demand is very high and they make a lot of the world's chips, most of the world's chips. And so do these regulators want to allow a company as large as Nvidia that has a pretty big grip on the uh, graphics card market and, and you know many others parts of the the chip market? they want them to gain this much hold over the architecture of the backbone of our global economy which is our mobile devices that everyone are using and there's risks that closing down or limiting other companies to from accessing this really top of the line leading edge processor designs and technology powers data centers mobile uh, phones cars and a lot of Internet of Things type of device, uh, devices because ARM technology makes, allows for processors to be relatively low power. And that's really the issue here. China has basically said that companies like Huawei um, have urged Beijing to block the deal. So there's a lot of pressure from big companies in big countries to block this deal. And I ultimately think they probably will block it or put strong limitations on what NVIDIA can do with ARM if they do actually acquire it. And this was announced last September, and it still has not gotten regulatory approval almost. You know, we're coming up on a year uh, that this has been in process, and it's still not there. So something definitely important to watch because that will have an impact on a lot of com- companies within the semiconductor industry, if this goes through, because Nvidia is going to have a lot more power. If it doesn't, it will change the dana- dynamics as well. Now, let's keep things moving and go right back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank. It's always open and waiting for your questions at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
1: Hi, Stephen Justin. My name is Amy from California. I'm self-employed. i forty-four years old, and I'm just now able to start a retirement savings. A financial advisor told me to put at least $1,000 a month into ticker symbol KBWY. I was just wondering if you agreed with that. I'll be listening on the podcast. Thanks for what you do.
2: All right. This is KBWY. Let me take a look at what they do here. This is KBW is the banking index, but... I'm seeing this is in the real estate sector let's see the Nasdaq hmm yeah so it's investing in domestic reach small and mid-sized companies okay so these are small okay yeah so it's small and medium sized REITs yields currently about 6 7.2% so so definitely high yield but you're also investing in a lot of companies that, I wouldn't say are struggling right now, but uh, are going to have less he- less heft to continue to pay their, their dividends. Small and mid-sized REITs, they're uh, oftentimes paying out more than their, their cash flow in dividends and therefore having to issue shares and issue uh, um, debt, and, and that can be uh, an issue. So that's what I would worry here is it's pretty high risk for the yield. You're kind of chasing yield. Expense ratio is 0.35, which is not low. It's not high. It's okay. Um, but having this as part of a broader portfolio, sure. But you definitely don't want this to have be your only holding. Okay. Now in the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline: A Fed official has warned that the U.S. cannot afford a housing market boom and bust. In the real estate market, high and low cost housing cycles have occurred multiple times and they have frequently frequently been a source of financial stability concerns. That's story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 99
5: early 20s, and I'm thinking of doing something that every article I read says not to. I noticed it took quite a fall.
1: Yes, I know it's extremely risky.
3: I have a little mixed feelings about this stock.
2: And I wanted to see if this could be a riskier payoff in the long run.
1: For the
4: unprepared investor, market volatility around the world demonstrates
2: risk. It remains a very, very tough business.
4: But opportunities wait for no one. And now may be the best time in
2: years to invest wisely.
4: We got a lot of things cooking out there that, we, that the market has to
2: think about. To invest strategically. We've moved very far, very fast. It needs to consolidate. KPP Financial Principals Steve Peasley and Justin
4: Klein host a unique weekday finance and investment program and podcast, Invest Talk. Listen live or download the free podcast.
2: Let's say. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The markets react
0: to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Talk. 99 chart. Hey,
5: Stephen Justin, my name's Taylor from Texas. I had a quick question about Torchlight Resources. I actually got into this way back when. It's been about six months since I've been in it. My original buy-in was at like eighty cents. I have a few hundred shares at like a two dollar average because I've I've rebought several times. So news came out of a merger, which is originally why I bought in. The merger is about to happen with Meta Materials, a Canadian company. Totally different businesses. But Meta will basically take over the ticker. It will change from TRCH to META. What they're saying is there's going to be a special dividend for TRCH holders. And it's basically they're going to sell all of their oil and gas resources and uh, pay that out to the shareholders that qualify so they're talking about all kinds of crazy numbers i've never heard of anything like this happening i was just seeing if y'all had any idea it's gone from 80 cents or even lower six months ago to now it's about ten dollars people are saying the dividend could be anywhere from a dollar to twenty dollars which all sounds crazy And then, of course, there's the squeeze talk because there's a merger and it's gotten popular on Wall Street bets. I was just seeing what y'all thought. If you've heard anything about it, if you know anything about it, appreciate you guys. Thanks for all of the details that y'all go into. Look forward to hearing your answer on the show. All
2: right. This is Torchlight, and I have not looked into this. I'm just kind of browsing this article here. Looks like it was part of a reverse merger, and it's that's basically it's kind of the way SPACs are are operating now, where you already are public, you already have a ticker symbol and, and listed, uh, oftentimes on the OTC market, but then a company instead of going through the process of going IPO, which can be cumbersome and expensive. You just go out there and buy almost a shell company that, that is listed that has probably little or no business, actually, and then suddenly you're a public company. Because, hey, that company, a, a listing. And so that's kind of what you've seen here. Typically, that's kind of a, a shady way to do it because you don't have to have the disclosures, and um, it's historically just not the most above-board way of going public. Now, the ticker symbol and and, and the change, I'd have to dig into that and and the the dividend and really understand what that means and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But historically, these are opportunities when it does surge, and this has surged from back in April at a low of about $1.37, hit over $10.00 last week, and now we're at $4.95, so you see it's dropped 50% in the span of three days. And that's not uncommon for these type of, of stocks to have massive, massive volatility. I would be looking for an out of some type, because unless you have some really strong conviction on the combined business and, and uh, what business is left over, after the oil and gas assets are sold off because that sounds seems like most of their business uh so what does that business look like i'd really have to dig into it but you what you're dealing here is a reverse merger with which historically is not the best way to be owning or buying uh great companies over the long term now let's make it two in a row this question came in earlier on the invest talk anytime listener line which was also a call in our voice bank because you can you can deposit your question and get an answer on the show. I'll play the question and then give my answer.
1: Hey, Stephen, Justin. How you doing? My name is Ryan from Wallenburg, PA. I just subscribed to the weekly newsletter, so I'm pretty excited to get that. I had a question for you guys on how you guys analyze trends and how far do you go back looking at the stock? Do you look back six months when you're looking for a resistance point or three months on the stock? is there a certain amount of time you don't go back looking at certain resistance points? Because I noticed you guys quickly pick off the resistance of a stock. And I was just curious to see if it's three months, six months, a year, and how you guys go about figuring the resistance point on a stock. Thank you so much for your help. I hope to hear you guys uh, answer on the show. Have a good one. Bye.
2: Now when you're looking at a stock chart, your standard daily excuse me, daily chart typically goes back 1 year. And you can find a lot of resistance and support areas based on that one particular chart. But the longer you look back and when I'll just uh, bring up a weekly chart on my desktop real quick and see how far that back that goes. That goes back down to about 2016 you're talking about a five-year period on a weekly chart, which makes sense. It's five days a week. Instead of one year, it's five years. And you go to a yearly chart, which I can do. I can go quarterly. I can go yearly. Uh, I can go all the way back. If I pull up like a Procter & Gamble and I go to a yearly chart, I mean, I can go back all the way. Let's see what it goes to. Probably the the 70s. Um, I'll wait for that to load. But basically, the longer you go back, the better. The better the technical levels should be, okay, from a, res, a resistance and support level. And so that's what we defer to. You always want to kind of defer to the longest time frame possible. And that will give you the best information. That doesn't mean you have to have the yearly or the, the weekly or monthly time frame show up. Doesn't mean that has to happen. And doesn't mean that that's what you have to look for. It can be still a short or medium term uh, pattern or trend that you're looking for. But I always defer to longer charts. Now tomorrow's link talked. Oh, okay, never mind. That was something else. All right, let's go pivot to let's go pivot to the change in unemployment benefits, and this is uh, pretty interesting. And what this article pointed to was the state of Missouri, which is one of about 18, what was it, 18 states? No, 21 states. There we go. Missouri and 21 other states. There we go. So 22 states canceling enhanced and extended unemployment benefits this month. And what you're seeing is it's actually pushing people to get more jobs. Now, for about... The last 18 months, there has been federal boosted unemployment benefits by about $300 a person each week. And that 18 months is far longer than the average 26 weeks, or the typical 26 weeks that you are limited to in a normal economy when you don't have uh, the the coronavirus and the uh, pandemic assistance. And, and so that's, that's a long period of time. And many Republican governors, and, and unfortunately, it's left and right, just for clarification here, I'm very centrist. I don't have my, – my, my tribe is the truth. It's not Republican or Democrat. So, but Republican governors have moved to end the federally funded benefits uh, because they're concerned about labor shortage. In Missouri, the state's unemployment rate fell to 4.2% in May. That's below the 58 average for the state. Now, on June 12th, they joined three other states, cutting off those extended unemployment benefits. Now, seven more states followed on June 19th, and four more states will end benefits on July 10th. So that's, that's a lot of states. We only have 50 of them, and... Like I said, about half are ending their unemployment benefits in the near term. Now, the number of workers paid benefits through regular state programs fell 13.8 percent the week ending June 12th to mid-May, and what this is showing is that people are showing up, and uh, it's not just anecdotally. You're looking; uh, they highlight a hospital that had many jobs open and could only get two people a couple months ago to show up for a job, and then they would accept the job, but they wouldn't show up for work. They're still getting their, their money. And now what they're seeing is they have a job fair or you know, P- accepting job applications, and they're getting 40 people. And they're all showing up for work, and uh, many of them have at worked for six months. And so what you're seeing here is that it's working shockingly, you know, you, people need money. And if it's not coming from the government, they got to go find it elsewhere. And although it's been a difficult time to recruit good applicants, this has really pushed people to get more jobs. And I've said this uh, about a month ago. I said, hey, no, job creation is going to pick up. Because in order to create a job, you actually have, some, have to have somebody to accept it. That's how the job numbers work. Because there's a job opening doesn't mean that that is going to show up on the job figures. It's how many jobs have started and been accepted. And so as you see these unemployment benefits roll off and uh, they're going to expire in September as long as they're not extended, which I don't think they will be, especially with the debt limit coming up, you're going to see job creation really get strong over the next few months. But that also is countering the drop in the transfer payments coming from government as well. So there's a lot of cross-currents in the economy. Currently, the the payments, PPP loans and unemployment benefits, that's repaired a lot of consumer balance sheets. And so they're going to start pulling from savings. The savings rate just skyrocketed because there's so much money going to people and not enough places for them to spend it, especially uh, when it comes to going out, eating out, having fun, uh, they, they just didn't have a place to do that. So they either saved the money or just bought physical goods. And now as the economy reopens, there's certainly, certainly going to be more spending, which means more demand for jobs and more people actually accepting them. So that's what to look for here in the next few months. And don't be surprised on those jobs numbers. Now, summer has officially started. Fourth of July is this weekend. I know I'm excited as well. It's one of my favorite holidays. And in the market, we are seeing volatility, and you need to be prepared to handle the circumstances of this summer with these cross-currents, with the shift in the market. You have elevated inflation, you have slowing growth, even though still strong, still slowing growth with less stimulus. And that makes me remind you that here on Invest Talk and at KPP Financial we operate with the same same philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success. We provide unbiased guidance along with practicing parallel investing, which means we invest in the same strategies we implement for our clients. Now, if you want to set up a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings, just send us a message through InvestTalk.com or call our KPP Financial office in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. Just a quick phone call, quick talk, see what's on your mind, see how we can help. We would love to help you. Now next up, another question from the Talk Voice Bank, and we'll play it in one minute.
0: There is good news for loyal Talk listeners, their friends, and families. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. Been
1: listening for a while and have got some great advice.
0: This free podcast is available for download anytime typically each day and night the invest talk call center receives more voicemail questions than steve and justin can fit into a live show format hi guys big fan of the show so in the bonus program caller questions will be played back from our voice bank and answered with brief unbiased and helpful responses i
2: think for like the next 10 years commodities are going to be doing very well it's in the money you probably just want to sell it.
0: It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor.
2: Absolutely love your
3: show.
0: It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and InvestTalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour.
3: Hi, this is Jape A. Conning from Sunnyvale, California. I have a question about a, a preferred stock ETF. The ticker symbol is PFF. I've been buying this for quite a while. It has uh, a consistent dividend uh, rate of a 4%. But uh, really no idea about the pros and the cons of a preferred stock. I would like to hear uh, your thoughts on, on this uh, ETF, as well as uh, preferred stock in general. Thank you so much for what you guys do. It helps me a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well,
2: I'm glad we're helping you as well. And you're looking, or you own, PFF, which is the iShares Preferred and Income ETF. And it does have a nice 4.6% yield based on the current price. And there are pros and cons just with everything with preferred shares. And the big one is duration. Duration. The effective maturity on these bonds is... Actually, sorry. There is no effective maturity. Remember that. When it comes to preferred shares... Most of them are just in perpetuity. They're paying you your four, five, 6%. And par value on preferreds are $25 and it can trade at a little bit more, a little bit less, a premium discount. Uh, and they do have problems when, not problems, but you will see a decline in them when interest rates rise precipitously. Uh, and that's really the biggest issue here. Now let me take a look at this particular ETF. Okay, this one, equity. I'm just seeing what their holdings are. Next air energy is their top holding and their preferred Southern Company. Now, one of the another issue with preferreds is that they typically are heavily weighted towards specific sectors. Financials, for example. Financials are a big part of uh, the uh, the percentage of outstanding preferred shares, same with utility companies. And so that's where you're gaining most of your exposure. Uh, is this a, a decent ETF? Yeah, it's decent. It's okay. I'm not, uh, I don't hate it. I don't love preferred shares overall because you're capping your, your upside while having potential downside. It's kind of like a, a junk bond in a way. And so you worry about a big drop in the markets and rising credit risk, and that can be an issue as well. So, but as part of a diversified portfolio, maybe a two, three, four percent allocation, I don't, I don't hate it. Uh, not bad if you're looking for a fixed income allocation. Now we're heading into our final break, so give us a call at eight 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 nine chart.
0: You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99
1: Chart. Good morning, Steve and Justin. This is Sean from Anaheim. I was calling about Tencent, ticker symbol T C E H Y. I remember, I believe Justin was talking about trying to avoid some of the Chinese stocks, but I've been looking on Morningstar, Credit Suisse, and uh, Reuters, and they have all positive ratings for the company. It also seems like it's below the 200-day moving average, and uh, it looks like it's going to be ticking up a little bit today on Friday morning. So if you could take a look at that and maybe analyze it, that would be great. Thank you.
2: All right, looking at Tencent Holdings, and... If you take the analyst consensus, uh, this is a, a strong company to own. It uh, has businesses and it's, it's a giant. It's a Chinese internet giant. It's uh, kind of a mix uh, between Facebook. It has social networking working platforms. Uh, it has mobile games. Uh, It's kind of like Google as well kind of like PayPal as financial technology cloud services and as a mobile browser kind of like Chrome Uh, so it's It's giant 600 million users for uh, one of its platforms uh, for for it's sorry social networking platform as 1.2 billion For another social network platform. So just a ton of people a ton of data uh and the bigger but the bigger question is is the 740 billion dollar market cap worthwhile in an environment where there's crackdown on china china and their um their authority and you know are we going to go into this kind of world where you have two internets you have um you know a a china focused internet a u.s uh and, and european focused internet What does that look like? What kind of regulations around auditing these type of companies will come down? And that's really where my issue lies is how transparent are they really? And frankly, they're not because we're not pushing them to be transparent. And so, but I do think that they will. I think governments will come around because I think that's what constituents will want in the end is transparency from uh, the companies that a lot of Americans are investing in, like Tencent. So, that's so why I'm not a fan of it, and I'm going to pass on it until there's more clarity on the regulatory side of Chinese-listed securities. Now, let's pivot to the infrastructure deal. And this was as of, when was that? There was a bipartisan deal struck on, what day was that? The 24th, so Thursday, but what was odd is that the statement that Biden made was that it was tied to a larger piece of legislation. In fact, a six billion, trillion, excuse me, billion sounds like a lot, but now they're talking trillions, a six trillion dollar proposal that fights, called the American Families Plan, that fights poverty, etc. And there was talk that this infrastructure plan was tied to the passage of that. But then he kind of walked that back recently and so It looks like they've come to some sort of a deal, but there's also the potential for many of the Democrats, especially the hard-lining Democrats uh, like an AOC, to say they won't support the $1 trillion deal either, unless something like American Families Plan uh, has passed. Now, probably what's more likely, though, is something along the lines of what Joe Manchin will approve. Remember, Joe Manchin is a swing vote. He's the most moderate of the Democrats uh, in, in the House, or sorry, in the Senate. And if he signs on to a certain deal that is bigger than what the Republicans will approve, then I think the Democrats are gonna pass are going to support that because they rather have spend two trillion than one trillion. They rather get it paid for raise the corporate tax level, which Joe Manchin indicated he would do going from 21% to 25% on the corporate side. Capital gains up to 28%, which is more modest than the original proposal from uh, Biden before. And he said, quote, I want to make sure we pay for it. I do not want to add more debt on. So if that, it's one trillion, or one and a half trillion, or two trillion, wherever that comes out to be over ten-year period. That's what I'd be voting for. So basically saying, hey, I'm willing to spend one trillion up to two trillion if it's paid for with tax increases and have kind of a, a, a come to Jesus moment on how to get this done. And I ultimately think that's where we're going to go, because I think the hardline Democrats are not going to sign on to a smaller bill if they can get a larger bill done. And I think there will be some fighting here. And we know politicians love to spend. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which they can find, as always, for free over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, as well as InvestTalk.com. And be sure to rate and review. We would love that.